0: You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety and comedy performers.
1: Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast with us, Kate and Evo. two magicians with the exact same war. And welcome to a spooktacular edition of Talking Tricks, we are getting very much into the Halloween mood ourselves, despite the fact that we're sat in a very sunny location. It's kind of like Christmas in July. It's forever. not sunny, it's dark. It's dark. It's mysterious. What are those The sun's noises? gone down. <laughs> we're getting ready for Halloween and coming up uh, very shortly, we're going to be joined by Ash and Teresa from the Edinburgh Horror Festival. They're going to talk us through what is a very varied Programme of events, and also we're going to talk about the history of sales here, something that Ash is very familiar with, and I learnt a lot during that chat. Edinburgh Horror Fest, yes, so we've got Edinburgh Horror Fest, London Horror Fest, and Brighton Horror Fest all on at the moment, all on at all the things moment. to check out, no matter where you are in the country. But today, we are going to be focusing pretty much solely on the Edinburgh Horror yeah. Festival, and very quickly, we must say a few quick plugs to get out of the way. Number one, come and see our show. We're doing a show on the 16th of November absolutely, absolutely. it's and a little bit scary there's scary bits in there, there isn't there the people, some people have cried yeah and there is yeah sometimes people have got a bit scared during the show but it's a good show it's a fun show it's of course split egg a magic show about being twins get your tickets at citizen and we plant a spooky tree we plant a, a pumpkin sp- tree a pumpkin tree a spooky tree we're planting a whole spooky forest thanks to this show so check that out it's at the etcetera theater in camden and also do us a favor rate review and subscribe to the podcast as always, we try and get you a podcast out every week, but sometimes on a different day, depending on what work we've got on. So make sure that it pulls straight into your download folder on whatever, however you listen to your podcasts, by subscribing to it. But before we go into our interview with Ash and Teresa, Kane, at the end of this interview, I asked them for their all-time top three Horror films. what are they? Now, well, you'd have to wait till the end of the interview to find out. But I thought I'd better write my own list. Now, I've come up with five. So, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So that everyone, after listening to this podcast, can get into the mood for Halloween. Maybe they'll go up to the Edinburgh Horror Festival. But if not, they might turn off the lights and watch a good horror film. So, Kane, what are your top five horror films of all time for a Halloween spook? Oh, you've generally caught me off guard. A little bit of warning would have been nice on that. Uh, Halloween? Halloween. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. What's the one with Freddy in it? Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Two classics to get you going. It? Does that count? I think it's a horror film. Yeah. The first one? The original one? Or is it a a bit of a thriller? See, now that I think of it, I think I like thrillers. The Ring? Now, The Ring is not a thriller. The r- the Ring is a full-on fright fest. The Others, that made me scared. Yeah, I didn't like The Others. We saw that at the cinema, didn't we? I don't know. You've done Five there. Are you aware of that? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I was thinking of the number 23, but I think that's actually a thriller, isn't it? It's not really that scary. We're going to have genuine, genuine horror fans listening to this podcast, and I've pretty much just committed blasphemy with my list of films. I think your list of films is good. Give it a, give it us one more time. Five through to one. Tell us what scared you the most about each film. So number five you had. You, you're catching me too off guard here. Halloween. Halloween. What scared you the most about Halloween? When he walked really slowly. He does walk slowly doesn't he? Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. When he made me scared. Yeah. <laughs> The others. The Simpsons Nightmare on Elm Street episode's very good, isn't it? Well, anything that's in The Simpsons is, is good. When Willie's the, uh, Willie's Freddy Krueger. All of the Treehouse of Horrors. Yeah. Um, the Ring. Yeah. She's just Is that there wet. a bit when someone gets hung in a closet? Maybe. She's There's wet. definitely a film when that happens. They go into a room and someone's hung themselves. She's a wet, creepy woman, isn't she? Yeah. Comes out of the telly. The yeah, others, I don't know, you've put me too, too off guard. Well, I think that's a good list, five good films. Do you want to hear mine? Yes, but <laughs> do I actually have to sit here and listen to it, or yes, can I walk you. away? No. Do you I need to respond to them? You have to respond. All right. Because so, you, it's, I've got an honorary mention. Right. Misery. Is that a horror? It, it's a psychological horror, right. is how Wikipedia okay. describe it. Well, I liked that film for you, so but, you cut, you're stealing that one off me. I watched it again and I didn't feel like I was watching a horror film. So it's an honorary mention. When I'm sat in this car and I'm wearing this hat, you are no longer my wife. <clears throat> Scream is my fifth favorite horror film of all time. Good. Yeah. What was that one with the, with the video camera in the woods? Oh. That's very much our generation. Yeah, Blair Witch Project. Yeah. That was scary. That was a scary because you didn't know what you were seeing, it was in, in your mind scary. My fourth scariest film of all time is The Birds. Okay. Yep, they're thrillers, aren't they? The birds scared me. Really? Isn't anything by Hitchcock a, a psychological thriller? I've got it in my list. It's there. The Omen. The thrill you're about to watch is a psychological thriller. Yeah, so I think Horror Buffs it might be horror aficionados might be a bit disappointed. With they were turned off already. And the birds, but get I get mean, to the interview. I've got, I've got a winner with free. Come on, the Omen. Yep, that little kid scared yep. the hell out of me. They're gonna hate my second. Gremlins. Gremlins. Comedy horror. That. That's the description. A, is it? Comedy horror. Which one? Gremlins. One, Gremlins one or two. One. Gremlins one. Good for Christmas. Good for Halloween. Start watching it now. Watch it all the way through. And my number one horror film of all time. It has the greatest soundtrack of most films. Is this classed as a horror? This is classed as a horror. Oh, the 1987 classic, The Lost Boys. If you can have Lost Boys, I would have had Edward Scissorhands in my list. Well, you can have it. You can have an honorary mention for Edward Scissorhands. But what are Ash and Teresa's scariest films of all time? Find out in a minute once we've previewed. Edinburgh Horror Festival, here on Talking Tricks.
0: The number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy and variety. You're listening to Talking Tricks.
1: Joining us on Talking Tricks over the magic of Skype is Ash Price and Teresa Dewar, the festival organisers. They kind of do it all between them. Ash is also performing various shows at this year's festival. They both join us now. Guys, how are you doing?
0: Not too bad. How are you, Lawrence?
1: Very well. Very well. Thank you. So, kick us off. It was one of these great festivals, the Edinburgh Horror Festival, that it kind of says it all in the name what it is. But for those that don't know, give us a, give us a quick overview of the festival.
0: Easiest way to describe it? Fringe of horror. I imagine you've got the Edinburgh Fringe going on, but all of the shows that are, in it are involved or connected in some way to horror, paranormal, supernatural entertainment. That's the quickest, easiest way to describe it, and I think it does it perfectly.
1: The festivals program, it's got this emphasis on horror for obvious reasons, but it, there's a real kind of cross section of, you know, theater, comedy, magic, film as well. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that does particularly well with audiences or do they just lap it all up? All
0: of it seems to do quite well. Um, obviously different shows and different genres have their own particular fans, But you often find people coming along to, say, the Banshee Labyrinth one night and they'll start there at the beginning of the evening and they'll just spend the entire night going from room to room to show to show and just taking in everything that's on offer.
1: And how many years has it been going on
0: for? This is our fourth year now, so we're just entering that um, and we're very very excited that it's actually going so well. (laughs)
1: And how's the festival evolved over those four years? What makes this year um, you know, particularly different from other years?
2: So this is my first year on the committee, but one of the ways that I've seen it evolve, because I started two years ago as a volunteer, um, is we've expanded our program quite a bit. So we're actually, program-wise, we have over 30 shows, which makes us one of the larger horror festivals um, in the UK right now. We've also started working with the Edinburgh Dungeons Dungeons, which is super exciting. um they've they're actually host hosting our launch party. They're letting us run a tour with them, and that's a great partnership that started this year. We've also started um, continuing our sellout shows at loriston Castle, which are a huge thing that people love and they sell out, usually in September, a few weeks after we just announced them, which is always exciting. Um it's, what else?
0: So, We've evolved in, in so much as we've started, like Teresa says, working with other organizations, other groups, other uh, entertainment companies. And we've evolved in such a way that we've developed a lot more following from site-specific work and quirky, odd little shows and gigs that you might not usually see on the, a, a standard theatre and performance lineup. So last year we had a a show that took entirely place on a boat. It went down a canal. Uh, This year we have site-specific shows out at Lauriston Castle. Uh, We're doing unique tours with the the Edinburgh Dungeon. So we've changed in so much as we went from originally just setting out to be kind of like the Fringe, but with just horror entertainment, and we've developed on that to incorporate different areas of performance and different areas of entertainment as well. And we've really found ourselves finding our place now and finding our feet of where we are on the entertainment scene. Talk me
1: through a little bit then um, the actual programme, kind of tell me some of the the shows, some of the key highlights. Obviously, as you said, about 30 shows this year, so I don't expect you to name them them (laughs) um, off the top of your head, but but what are some of the things um, that audiences can expect?
0: One of the shows that I'm quite keen on seeing myself, of course, and I do want to see as many as I can, all of them if I could, Uh, but we've got Danger Dave Rubens coming back this year after a a two-year break Uh, he's doing his stunt magician show which is some really out there and dangerous and uh, questionable uh material which is really really good and really entertainment and genuinely terrifying uh we're also doing some work with uh an organization called haunted publishing and they're bringing to us just for one night they're doing uh Uh, a reading of their collection of gothic material from Edinburgh's history and from Scotland's history wider, uh, haunted voices, gothic storytelling, and they've got a few performers and authors and writers coming along to talk about that and talk about readings uh, from the from the collection and so that's going to be really good fun. Uh, Stand-Up Horror is another one of our shows that we have every year and is extremely popular.
2: well-received, very popular. It's Alex Stannenforth, who's also on the committee, and his shows are always slightly bizarre. So Stand-Up Horror is basically him creating a horror story based upon influences from the the audience. So he'll start with a general idea. Maybe they're fighting arachnid monsters this time, and basically the audience gets to choose as a choose-your-own-adventure, which is always quite exciting and gets very bizarre very quickly. Um,
0: let's see. Yeah. So we're also, uh, having live podcast recordings this year. We've got middle below who are doing a, a live podcast recording of their horror, uh, radio series. Uh, we've got a show called Carnival Macabre, which is, uh, a uh, two-person, a two-hander show, and they're taking on different freak show characters and uh, performing in uh, a carnival style. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, a chap called uh, Jordan Phillips who performs as Reign of Destruction, and they'll be staging their Fright Club, which is a sort of horror version of RuPaul's drag show. Uh, So we've got lots of different things going on. Uh, There's also... Uh, Because this is the 35th anniversary year of Ghostbusters, we've got uh, a gentleman called Dezo Gorman, who will be performing his Still Ready to Believe You show, which is a stand-up comedy show about the influence on his life of the Ghostbusters franchise. So we've got lots of different things and lots of different styles of shows on.
1: It sounds incredibly varied and, and mm-hmm. incredibly exciting. There's also, you know, a, a feature that I suppose kind of has to be on on all sort of uh, horror festival programs. There's a Rocky Horror Night. Talk to us a little bit about that.
0: So the Rocky Horror Night. Yeah, we have that every year. We have to have that every year because it's Rocky Horror. Uh, so on the Saturday night, uh, the Saturday, the 2nd of November, we're going to have a game show with uh, a number of panellists. So it'll be a sort of... Uh, well, we've all seen those television panel game shows, but this will be entirely focused around Rocky Horror. So you get to come along and engage with that. And that will be followed by a completely and totally free screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So for your, uh, your night out, you can't go wrong with that.
1: And, and I can imagine people will come dressed up.
0: Oh absolutely we're actively encouraging it we'll be in costume on the panel um, I should probably tell the panelists that uh, and we're encouraging people to come along in costume we'll have a sing-along we'll get everyone involved it'll be an absolutely fantastic night out.
1: And, and then kind of focusing on films because I know it's something that, that most people do over Halloween they, you know they whether they stay in or go out they ha- have a scary movie of some sort there's a few other films being screened during the festival is that right?
0: Yeah, we've got a couple of local organisations. So we've got the Edinburgh B Team and Neon Frights, and they'll be doing a, an evening of horror movies. They'll be staging uh, screenings of The Old Dark House, The Omen, Halloween 3, and Wishmaster. We've also got the Edinburgh Zombie Club, who are going to do an entire evening of werewolf-based movies, uh, and that's uh, Full Moon High, The Howling, The Beast Must Die, and Silver Bullets. And they'll be on on the Monday, the 28th of October, and Wednesday, the 30th of October. So again, they will be completely free access uh, entry to those films none of the film events are charged
1: you mentioned free access there the majority of the shows are, are, are pay what you want why did you go uh, for that model a model i i love and, and encourage mm-hmm. um, but why did you go for that instead of slapping a big price tag on it
0: so i've Uh, Join the Fringe. I always go with PBH's Free Fringe because I've always been a big fan of making the arts and entertainment as accessible as possible to anybody. And the best thing about a pay-what-you-want model is people can come along regardless of what their income is, regardless of how they are financially at that exact moment, and they can come along and they can enjoy something. And if they're able to throw in uh, a pound, that's great. If they can throw in more, fantastic. If they can't manage that, it's pay-what-you-can. If they can't afford more than that, we're not going to be standing there um, furiously scowling at them. So we want to make the arts as accessible as possible to people.
1: And kind of, we've mentioned the audience a little bit. I kind of want to talk about Banshee Labyrinth and why that's kind of a place you're involved with. I also want to dig a little bit deeper into the stuff going on at the castle and the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The, the audience is for this, is this very much a kind of Edinburgh based audience or is it is it kind of similar to the fringe where there's people coming from kind of all over Scotland and uh, other places to visit?
2: Right now we're mostly looking at an Edinburgh based audience. However, we do see people coming from places like Fife or Sterling or Glasgow um, coming over to see it. We aren't really big enough to attract a large audience from outside of those regions yet, but we're trying. Um, it's still very much in that growing stage because Edinburgh as haunted of a city as it is it doesn't have a huge tourist scene around specifically Halloween which is something that we're working on trying to develop Um, but yeah right now it's very much an Edinburgh based audience and just the surrounding areas maybe people who can get like an hour train ride are the ones who tend to come.
0: And especially that time of year as well there is a lot going on and There's a lot of good hotels and accommodations as well. So we'd very much like to encourage people from further afield to come up because they will find something to do um, on the Edinburgh Horror Festival, but around the city as well.
1: It's a beautifully Gothic city, Edinburgh. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, it's a wonderful place to to come and visit. And there's always such good entertainment there as well. I wonder, why do you think the public kind of still has this appetite for horror? You know, certainly around Halloween, people want to do something spooky, but I kind of feel all year round, people do like, we we like a good scare.
2: Well, some of it has to do with the fact that, like, millennials, we as a generation can't necessarily afford the expensive things. And so sometimes we go for stuff that reminds us of our childhood. And a lot of people really enjoyed Halloween and the dressing up and the fun kind of harvest time with our parents. So a lot of people will, it's that memory and linked to childhood. And for other people, it's the fact that like our society is very broken right now. And a lot of people find comfort in scaring themselves in a very controlled way. Um, it's kind of a form of escapism, which is very interesting to see that Our world is scary, but people like to escape into the horror and to be scared in a safe way. So it's kind of bizarre that way, but that's how I see it anyway.
1: And Edinburgh Dungeons is probably a place that people are are, are used to kind of an environment to go in and, you know, be scared characters running around, interacting with them and all that kind of thing. The, The events during the festival that that are on at there can people expect similar things or what sort of things are going to be going on at those events
0: so with the Edinburgh dungeon this year uh, they have a special extra show that's going on during the halloween season it's called the white lady uh, bloody revenge so what we're doing is we're adding a extra walking tour around the more gothic and darker areas of the city that people will come on they'll get an adults only Uh, tour from myself and uh, another local tour guide. And we'll be telling tales uh, tales of terror and stories of Edinburgh's darker past. It'll be very interactive, very, very much mature and entertaining. And we'll then be taking them to the Edinburgh Dungeons, where they'll be able to go into the Edinburgh Dungeons, go around there, experience the Edinburgh Dungeon, as well as getting the Halloween show as well. So it's a really unique opportunity to cover various parts of Edinburgh, its history, its entertainment, and its horror. So that's the stuff we're doing with the Edinburgh Dungeons, and it's our first year working with them, so we're really, really excited to see how this develops.
2: We also have the launch party that's going to be held there, which is an exclusive party that we've basically invited a lot of press and other industry people to come and basically explain about the Horror Festival and get them excited about the Horror Festival as well. So the Dungeons has been kind enough to offer us the ability to take the press and industry people on this on a free tour and then offered to host the launch party for us which is amazing
0: yeah i absolutely the the partners we're working with the banshee labyrinth the dungeon and uh, the edmund museums and galleries out at loriston castle they've all been absolutely fantastic and extremely supportive
1: i want to touch on loriston castle and, and banshee but before then th- this tour sounds absolutely fantastic and the kind of thing um i think people would be really really into um h- how long how long is that going to get take uh, how long will that go on for
0: so the total length of time is two hours and fifteen minutes. So you'll get two hours, fifteen minutes of absolute terror.
1: And is there a few chances to to, to go on those tours throughout
0: throughout the night? Are you doing kind of more than one, or, or is it one? Nope. Nice. that is the only event we're doing that is the only one-off event that we are doing so it's the only opportunity to actually get those things combined uh, and it will be the last opportunity as well for people to experience the halloween show at the edinburgh dungeon so there's a lot of one-off and final opportunities on that tour and
1: at Lauriston castle then what what's what are the events there
0: So at Lawreston Castle, we're helping to develop their Terror Trail, which is a morning event, and that's a family-friendly adventure around the grounds of the castle, so there'll be riddles and clues to find. Uh, There'll be interactive characters. Inside the castle, there'll be some magic and storytelling and um, some guided tours, some uh, activities and some crafts in there, and some snacks and drinks. Uh, We're also doing a horror tour of the castle, where uh, a local tour guide, Alex, will be leading people around Lawreston Castle and telling them some spooky tales of Edinburgh and its history, how it connects in. Uh, We have a show called The Haunted Hunt, which is an interactive adventure uh, show. It's a a really fun and unique little experience and people get to go on that and they'll interact with their uh, people in character. It's it's sort of, I always kind of think of it as a bit like the crystal maze uh, with a narrative structure. And then finally, the other event there is the Twilight Seance, which will be uh, this is one I'm running. And that's in the evenings and it is a Victorian inspired seance. It involves a cabinet seance demonstration as well. And these have always been extremely fun to do and always very, uh, very good nights.
1: You mentioned you'll be running that seance. But Ash, there's a few events that you're, you're a few shows, a few events that you're, you're performing uh, that you're at the head of. Talk, talk to me through those.
0: So I'm uh, I'm a mentalist primarily. Uh, my particular area of interest is in the more paranormal and spooky side of our industry. Uh, so I'll be doing a couple of seances. I'm also doing a show called Paranormal Illusionist, which is uh, elements of seance magic, some ESP uh, and some spooky inspired demonstrations there. And a little bit of storytelling about Edinburgh's haunted and supernatural history. Uh, I'll also be doing my show, "How to Be a Psychic Conman," on the twenty fifth, which is essentially teaching people how they can bend metal and read minds and use their abilities to recreate these wonderful skills and these wonderful abilities.
1: And what what got you into this, Ash? If you kind of were you always into the the darker side of magic, or was it a, a very a traditional sort of? uh classic tricks growing up and and then you kind of got into it
0: no actually i when i was younger i was not a fan of magic i i think i got a paul daniels magic set for christmas and played with it once uh it wasn't until i was actually my 20s when i really started getting into it and that had been because i i I was an actor and as all resting actors do in edinburgh i work for the ghost tours and that That got me interested in the paranormal and the supernatural and in the world of the psychic. And so I started looking at things like metal bending and levitations and all of that. And I was really curious how how they were doing it. And so I started researching it purely from the point of view of, uh, of, I guess, supernatural skepticism to try and find out what was going on. And that led me down various different paths that have resulted in me now uh, working as a mentalist. Uh, And it all very much came about by chance and by accident, of my interest in this weird and bizarre world. And that's stayed with me. I've always enjoyed that element of it. And I've always enjoyed uh, the stuff that the, the spiritualists used to get up to back in the 19th century, you know, with their cabinets and their ectoplasm and all of that. And I was I, I was always fascinated by it. And that's, that's what led me to where I am.
1: And I, I imagine you've done a fair bit of research then into seances. You know, there they were such sort of Oh, yeah. for want of a better phrase um why did why do you, do you feel the public was so interested in it at the at the time that they were uh, as big as they were
0: so lots of things were happening when spiritualism first comes about uh you've got a very occult obsessed society with especially in victorian in uh, britain uh, you have a society that's very obsessed with the occult and as to in america you've also got a lot of social changes taking place and spiritualism offered something a little bit different. It offered something that could be demonstrated as being concrete. You know, you had the foxes with their spirit wraps, and you had uh, people like Katie King with their manifestations, and you had all of these people presenting what appeared to be very real and very genuine, tangible evidence. And so I think all of that very much combined as a perfect storm to create this this movement, this religion that still hasn't gone away, that is still there. It may have changed and shifted ever so slightly, but it is still very much what the Fox sisters created those 170 it's, years ago.
2: It's still changing. The spiritualist um, church has is currently slightly divided and still changing even to this day because um, Lily Dale has just changed hands again, which is very interesting that spiritualism is still as kind of developing as it was when the yeah. Fox Sisters were around.
0: I mean, I, I guess the thing is, as people started investigating a little bit more and as people started exposing a lot of the more uh, physical mediums of the 19th and early 20th century, mediumship and spiritualism did have to shift a little bit because you don't see as much anymore. You don't see many mediums doing cabinet demonstrations anymore. You don't see many mediums uh, bringing out a spirit trumpet or levitating or anything like that. Uh, and at the time people weren't able to explain these and you also had scientists like William Crookes supporting spiritualists and saying yes yes I found them and this is proof positive that they are genuine so you've got all of that elements combining in with with scientists at the time saying yes it's real.
1: A lot of magicians will will kind of notice that the techniques that, that people use during seances to give the impression of spirits and things like that. Was this a case of um, people using Known magic techniques, or actually, did the techniques that they developed for um, seances influence magicians?
0: I think it was actually the latter. Uh, mentalism, especially, had been quite influenced by spiritualism. And if you look back at the early, uh, the early days of mentalism when it's first started to come into its own, you've got people like Alexander who are very much presenting in that traditional spiritual style, or the uh, he, his appearance at least was a little more influenced by Eastern spiritualism, but. I think definitely spiritualism has an impact on it. And some of those ideas still come into play today. If you pick up uh, any of the uh, the main texts on uh, mentalism, you always find that there are sections that specifically detail this and look at the history of it. And of course, Bob Casti quite frequently would point out that mentalism, modern mentalism, at least grew out of the spiritualist movement.
1: And so when did it all um, fall apart? You know, the the wider wider public were believers, uh, you know, in seances and and this kind of ability to um, communicate with the dead. When did it all start unravelling?
0: I'm not sure it ever has quite unravelled because in 1888, the Fox sisters actually came out and Maggie Fox confesses that this movement she began was fraudulent, that she had just been using a variety of very simple techniques to create the illusion of spirit knocks. And even that confession from the founder of spiritualism didn't really have much of a knock-on effect. Spiritualism continued to grow and develop, Uh, even when you have people like Helen Duncan who go to court and eventually prison in the 1940s, exposed as, as fraudulent and using fraudulent techniques people still latch onto it and you find that even with spiritualist magazines in the 19th century that they would say yeah of course sometimes spiritualists use tricks but that's when they're not feeling strong that's not when they're feeling not feeling weak uh, they're feeling a bit weak so it's still very much there and spiritualism is still popular it's still growing so i'm not sure it has really fallen apart it's just changed its shape a little bit i mean go to any city in the country you will find at least one spiritualist church.
1: Spiritualist churches aren't, aren't something I'm familiar with. Are you able to kind of shed, shed a bit of light on, on what they're like and um, is, is it you know full believers and things like that?
0: Generally I mean if you you go to spiritualist nights uh, they depending on whether you go to a church or a more structured clairvoyance night that's presented as a clairvoyance night uh, you end up with some things that are very similar to religious practices. So you may have prayers and you may have ceremonies. And then you will usually have a bit of mediumship. Or if you go to a full-on mediumship night, that is just that. You'll have the medium there giving readings and connecting in with the dead. And yet people going along to these do believe it. And I've I've seen people be genuinely emotionally uh, affected by what the medium is saying and doing on stage. And sometimes you're sat there thinking this is actually really... Uh, upsetting actually but but then on the other hand you're thinking well also these people are enjoying it it's a very weird um, experience being there a spiritualist session Um, and I I don't go to as many as I I would like to uh, many timing reasons but whenever I have it's always been a very interesting night Uh, sometimes you get mediums that are not particularly convincing who seem to do better once they read someone they've already read before Uh, and then you get other mediums who seem to be right off the mark getting hit after hit after hit so it's you can see why people believe it when they're perceiving the medium to be getting things right after correct 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 all the time and like i said uh, like i said before people are quite comfortable dismissing the negatives focusing entirely on the positives
1: And I'm curious with with the people that will attend your senses, are the majority there for for a night of entertainment or or do you you get some people coming expecting for you to actually contact the dead?
0: So I make sure that I present what I'm doing as a piece of theatre. I don't make claims to have a supernatural ability myself, that I use a combination of techniques to create this world. but I do generally get people who are coming along for entertainment, but every now and then you do get people who come along and do believe it. Uh, and even if I'm saying what I'm doing is is theatre, they still insist that, no, 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 there's got to be something to it. There's definitely something to it. Um, and I'm sure I'm not alone in the mentalism community of having had people come up to you and say, well, I know you say you're not psychic, but you are a bit, aren't you? Uh, so you do get that. You do get people who come along for entertainment, but one or two people come along because they genuinely want to see if they can experience something paranormal, something genuinely going bump in the night.
1: Are we are we as a public uh, often guilty to, to the Fox Mulder philosophy of wanting to believe?
0: Oh, absolutely. Anytime there are surveys done on a large scale to find out what people's beliefs are, the majority of people uh, generally tend to believe in psychics and ghosts. And there's just something really fascinating about it. And for all my scepticism of all the areas that, that I would love to be true, it is that area there with the ghosts and the ghouls and the supernatural, because it is just so fascinating from any point of view. And I think even if people believe or don't believe, there is something there that just grips you, that just grabs you, isn't there? Um, even you know when you're lying in bed alone at night in a dark room and you hear a creak, no matter how rational you may think you are, there is always that moment of Maybe it's a poltergeist. I'm
1: curious to talk to you. I, I don't want to um, sort of focus too much on, on, on seance here and, mm-hmm. and its whole history, but it's an area that fascinates me. And, you know, we'll, we'll get back to the festival and, and kind of round things up with that. But I, sure. I wonder, you've obviously, from talking to you... Um, it's a subject that, you, that you've studied at, at depth. I wonder, is there a few kind of seance stories that, that are sort of particular favourites of yours or, or or a few things that happened during that time that you can share?
0: So my one of my favourite mediums of the time was a chap called Daniel Douglas Hume. Uh, he was actually born in Edinburgh and was the first person uh, to be called a psychic back in 1871. Uh, this was William Crookes came up with the idea of psychic force and he applied it to Daniel. But Daniel dunglas Hume, his ability was levitation, but not just levitating a few feet. He would float up and fly out of windows. Um, and it was one of the most bizarre stories. And the, one of the best things about it is, he's one of the ones that we don't really have an explanation for how he did it because we've only got these reports. Um, so we've got no real firsthand way of getting in there and testing him, obviously. Uh, so all we've got are these reports of him levitating up and flying out of windows. And it's just wonderful to read about. Uh, and he was a megastar, an absolute megastar at the time. And he traveled around the world. He married into Russian aristocracy. He was close friends with the emperor and empress of France. Some say he was a little too close with the empress of France. He lived in America for a while. He traveled all over and he was just a celebrity megastar who would fly out of windows. And I just love him.
1: And these the sort of legends that, that, you know, have obviously grown with time, time with these sort of characters. I'm interested to know what the reporting was like at the, time, at the time, if you know, you know, was this a lot of sort of newspaper articles or were they sort of guilty to the Houdini approach of, of large sort of uh, self-publication and taking adverts out and, and publishing their own books and
0: things like that? Oh, yeah, there was a lot of self-publication. Um, the Foxes themselves released quite a few memoirs about their life and their what they would get up to, uh, and... So you'd also have spiritualist magazines as well, which were very, very popular, and occult magazines which would promote spiritualists and help to sell them a little bit. Uh, And scientific research was interested in it, and also poems and theatre and arts. There's a large collection of uh, artwork from the 19th century inspired by spiritualism. You have a poem by uh, a poet called Browning who wrote a huge, huge poem about Daniel Douglas Hume called Mr. Sludge, The Medium. Uh, so there's a lot of promotion there, and one of the big things people like Hume would say is, "Oh, no, I don't charge for my seances and make a big thing of that." Uh, but he may not charge for them, but he always accepted some very fine gifts.
1: Fantastic, and and let's talk a little bit about um, the Banshee Labyrinth. It, it's it's a place I'm familiar with as someone that's done done the Edinburgh Fringe for the last um, sort of five years. Um, it, it it seems like a, a great fitting for for this kind of festival
2: yeah it's um we've been working with the Banshee Labyrinth since the very first year, and the staff there are absolutely fantastic and it's also considered one of the most haunted pubs in Scotland, which just kind of is a very fitting setting. And as you're probably aware with p b h the the rooms themselves are quite easily easy to turn into beautiful theater spaces. so it's a great place just to to have theater and to have different forms of shows and it already feels spooky in there i don't know if you've ever been in there at night alone it's just it's very unsettling
0: <laughs> of course the badge 11th is part of the underground vault structure so it's it's just custom built for this type of thing really
2: yeah
1: and this of course isn't isn't this festival you know uh runs uh, just over a week or so isn't it
0: mm-hmm. it's 11 days this year i think
1: Eleven days, that. but but this isn't it. it it's not. It's a. Uh, it's not solely those eleven days. There's there's events that happen throughout the year. Tell me a few, a little bit about them.
0: Oh yeah. So we try to stage special events whenever whenever we can. We have uh, we've got a, planning for a Christmas event right now. It's going to be a whole night of Christmas themed spooky shows. We've done guest nights where we've had people like Victoria Price or Dacre Stoker coming along. Monthly, we run events at the Banshee Labyrinth. So we have monthly horror events, comedy, stand up comedy with a horror theme. Uh, I do some shows each month. We we have other acts coming in doing shows. So we make sure we do things regularly. Uh, we even put on a couple of things during the Edinburgh Fringe. So last year we did our Edinburgh Horror Show, which is our variety night of horror.
1: Is there anything we're missing? Anything you, else that our, our listener needs to know about the festival?
0: There's so much going on. Uh, if you go to our website edhorrorfest.co.uk, that will list everything that's going on. Because uh, we've even had extra shows added in the last uh, last week or so that have come into us. There's lots of things going on and it's all over we've got it in uh, the banshee labyrinth obviously loriston castle uh, the dungeons the walking tour so there's there's lots there and I'm I'm sure that I could probably speak for hours about the type of things that are on and the things that are happening but I think the easiest thing to go and do is just check us out
2: also another thing is is um if performers who are interested in attending next year they're always free to reach out we try to open applications like think in January is when we opened them this year and that's when we usually try to open them and we're in the process of trying just to reach out and get to know more performers as well Um, so we're always welcome to to have people follow us or ask questions on our social media or email us if there are performers who just want to know our tech setup because we just had I had a meeting back in September about somebody who wanted to do a site-specific thing and we decided this year probably wasn't the best year because we couldn't give them the information they needed and they're already planning on coming back next year to do a show with us because they finally got to meet us they got to see our venue in space and they were so they're now so excited and so pumped basically to apply and just to come next year so we're always also open to talking to performers at any point um, in the year if they want to join us as well
1: and Teresa, what, what are you looking for in, in the perfect show when, when programming um, the festival?
2: Honestly, I look for anything that's really unique. So anything that's different and that fits that horror genre or the slightly spooky. Um, basically, I want, I want to see good shows and I want to see site specific things and I want to see things that will make people slightly uncomfortable if not actually scared.
1: Have you ever had any issues with people getting too scared? <laughs> do, do, do people come out uh, ever angry that, that you scared them too much or or are people kind of normally going away pretty spooked um, and happy? I
2: don't think we've ever had anybody who's been too scared. At least not that I'm aware of. Most people are, are quite happy with what they get. They really enjoy the variety as well because some people may not as into the extremely spooky things like the seance or anything like that so they might really enjoy the cabaret type nights with the the horror burlesque people or the gore people or the storytellers so it's we try to have a variety mostly to kind of cater to everyone's like horror idea as well
0: yeah we're quite open with our definition of horror and flexible with it yeah. enough to allow all Different types of ideas to come through, so it's something for everyone.
1: It really is an an unbelievably varied program, and the reason I wanted to to get you guys on on the podcast to chat about it because you know it's not just a a horror festival and everything's kind of similar. You mentioned that you know gore, storytelling, uh, Danger Day with his stunt show, films, tours, you know, and everything. Congratulations! It's a really cracking looking program.
0: Thank you. We're extremely (laughs) excited about it ourselves, and. I, I want to get to see as much as possible, to be absolutely honest. I'm going to be exhausted by the end of it, but it's going to be worth it.
1: And obviously, we hugely encourage the population of Edinburgh and the surrounding areas to come and check out as many of those shows. As possible. Um, just for a little closer, guys, maybe to get people in the mood for, for a bit of a scare or a little bit of horror, if both of you could give me maybe your, your top three, if you can, horror films of all time, what what to get people in the mood for. And Teresa, sorry to put you on the on the spot first, but we'll have to go <laughs> ladies first.
2: Um, so I honestly haven't seen that many horror films. I think Ash has introduced me to most of the horror films I've ever seen. Um, So... Yeah, I do scare really easily. Um, But The Fog was really, really good. Um, I really enjoyed that. Rocky Horror is definitely in my top three, even though it's not traditional horror. I mean, I could be really cheesy and say The Addams Family. It's kind of horror. That's fair. (laughs) But The Addams Family is great good. Those are pretty,
1: pretty good films. I'd I'd encourage the listener to listen to them. Ash.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. So my favourite horror film of all time is The Changeling with George C. Scott. It is one of the few films that has genuinely scared me, even as an adult. And if you haven't seen it, definitely turn the lights out, sit it by yourself and watch that movie. Uh, I would have that followed by The Mothman Prophecies, which is just a very unnerving and unsettling film. And finally, I think the original haunting uh, would round off my top three list. Scary
1: films, yeah, turn mm-hmm. out the likes listeners and, li- and, and and watch those. Guys, thank you ever so much. As I said one more time, unless there's anything uh, any final kind of bits you'd like to add um, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Uh, thank you and I think I need to sit Teresa down and show a lot more horror films.
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having us. Yes. Our pleasure. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cain and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast.